listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and thank you for spending some of your time with us this hour. A difficult day for the world, a difficult day for the city, for the province, and for the country. I think it was tough for everyone to wake up this morning. I'm Obviously, last night, if you went to bed after those missiles were fired from Iranian sites to uh, U.S. Uh, bases, you were obviously concerned. And then getting up this morning to find out about the aircraft and the number of Canadians killed that will continue to reverberate throughout the day. I'll tell you what we know at this point. York Regional District School Board saying that a number of its students have been killed in that plane crash, the crash of PS-752, the flight taking off from Tehran. Also, we know that uh, graduate students, doctoral students from the University of Guelph have been killed. We know that there are a number of victims from Edmonton, also a Toronto area a family of three, Toronto area family three among those killed in the Iran plane, Iran plane crash. All of this adding up to be a very, very sad day. 27 people of the 63 Canadian victims apparently were from Edmonton. That according to the former president of the Iranian Heritage Society of Edmonton. University lecturers, students amongst the killed. Two professors, a married couple, and their two daughters were in Ukraine on the Ukraine International Airlines flight, that also from Alberta. Here is John Tory this morning, who is at what should have been a positive announcement about launching a new marketing campaign to get people to get outside and enjoy Toronto in the winter and try and get more tourists to come here, not just in the summer months, but also all times of the year. Here's John Tory reacting this morning. There will be a number of Torontonians because we have both a very large Iranian community here and, of course, also a very large uh, Ukrainian community. And so uh, I, I will just say that uh, my heart goes out to those communities. Yesterday was uh, Eastern uh, Christmas, which includes the Ukrainian community. Um, it's just unspeakable when these kinds of things happen. And so we'll await uh, further details and obviously uh, find other ways in which we can uh, commiserate uh, with those communities about the losses that undoubtedly they've experienced today. That is John Tory speaking this morning about the tragic loss of life, tragic loss of Canadian life, especially in terms of what we're focusing on in this plane crash outside of Tehran. Air Canada, which is the only Canadian air carrier that operates in the region, has now said it will alter its routes to ensure the security of its flights into and over the Middle East. That announcement came out late last night. Difficult to say that it is specifically tied to the crash of this airliner as much as it is tied to concerns about escalating tensions and missile strikes and so on and so forth. Ukraine's Tehran embassy originally blamed this incident on engine problems with the Boeing 737-800 aircraft. This is not the MAX jets that have been grounded. This is a different kind of plane. But the Ukrainian embassy in Tehran has now removed that statement pending a commission's inquiry. It is of note that Iran had launched ballistic missile attacks to two military bases in Iraq, where U.S. soldiers were stationed just hours before this crash. Although at this point, there is no evidence that the incidents are connected. How do you feel about that? Does your mind immediately go to a conspiracy theory? Do you think to yourself, how is it possible that these two things are not interconnected? 
It may be that the only connection is that the 180 people on board that flight were trying to get out of Tehran, worried about the escalating tensions. Perhaps a time for a little Occam's razor. Occam's razor says that when presented with competing hypotheses that make the same predictions, one should select the solution with the fewest assumptions. Sometimes that's boiled down to just say the most obvious answer is usually the right one. It's not quite that simple. But perhaps the most obvious answer here in the early going is that these things are not related. Planes do crash. And there's no evidence at this point that this has been engineered by any state actors or any terrorist organization, but more details are to come. The plane crash was not mentioned at all by President Trump in a press conference held in the White House not long ago. Here he is, President Trump, talking about the attack from Iran on Iraqi military sites where U.S. troops are stationed, saying that there were no fatalities, and here he makes this assumption. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. That is Donald Trump speaking not long ago, saying that Iran appears to have stood down. Reggie Cicchini is a Global News Washington producer and reporter for Global News and joins me on the line. Hi, Reggie. Good afternoon. What did you make of that assertion? Well, I mean, look, the, Iran's foreign minister came out yesterday and said in a tweet that they had concluded what they believed to be a proportionate response to uh, the U.S. airstrike that killed their top general and said that, and you know, if America decides to continue on, we'll strike back. But this is what we plan to do. They intended to put some kind of revenge attack out on uh, on uh, in Iraq that impacted uh, American troops. They did so. They have stood down. They said that that was their conclusion. So the president was simply just reiterating a point that Iran had already made, that they weren't going to go any further unless the U.S. provoked them. Here is uh, Trump continuing on, talking about NATO allies and also talking about the imposition of new sanctions on the country of Iran. Soleimani's hands were drenched in both American and Iranian blood. He should have been terminated long ago. By removing Soleimani, we have sent a powerful message to terrorists. If you value your own life, you will not threaten the lives of our people. As we continue to evaluate options in response to Iranian aggression, the United States will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the Iranian regime. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. That is Donald Trump speaking at the White House just shortly ago, but an hour ago, talking about new economic sanctions to be imposed on Iran. I'm speaking with Reggie Cicchini, a reporter out of Washington. And Reggie, do we know anything more about these sanctions? We don't know uh, what the president is actually intending to do when it uh, comes to imposing either new or toughening existing sanctions. Uh, but the, the issue here is the president, uh, in one point of his conversation today, or at least in one point of his speech, is talking about trying to... To re, uh, to, uh, trying to rather extend an olive branch to the Iranian regime, saying we want you to prosper, we want your people to have a good future, but at the same time is also saying we're going to make it economically impossible.
impossible for your uh, country to continue operating uh, as it has been or as it could continue to be. So it's a conflicting message the president is putting out there. I think the point that he's trying to make is uh, that these economic sanctions he's putting in place would somehow uh, deter Iran from continuing with its uh, nuclear or its uranium enrichment program, which it says it's going to do now and pay attention to no limitations. So it could be a measure that is used to stop one thing, but will ultimately end up creating a whole new round of problems for the country. Speaking with Reggie Zucchini now about uh, the address by Donald Trump, and, and you talk about things that also sort of didn't square with what the president has said in the past. Let's begin with NATO. Uh, the president saying that NATO should get far more involved in the region and step up. That seems to go right against everything he has ever said about NATO in the past. Well, not only does it do that, it also plays into the hands of the Iranian regime because the president is essentially, or what the president could potentially be saying here, is that he wants U.S. troops to withdraw from the region and allow for NATO to take a more uh, broad uh, ability to be able to protect, uh, you know, what could be considered either American or global interests and assets in the region. But that's precisely what the Iranian regime wants to see. They want to see a withdrawal of all U.S. troops from the Middle East region. And with the president simply saying, well, look, we're going to ask NATO, which could have implications on Canada to increase a troop presence in the area. Uh, there are implications to be felt globally, but but it also gives another win to Tehran. So the president is going to have to think long and hard and have to sit, have a sit down with, with his closest advisors to see if it actually makes uh, not only a sense from a you know economic standpoint, but from also a military standpoint. Reggie, I want to just uh, fact-check one other thing that the president went on at length about, and that was energy self-sufficiency. He said that he had made moves to make the American uh, Republic much more self-sufficient in terms of energy, and that they did not need Middle Eastern oil. Is that true? Well, yes, it is. The U.S. is less dependent on uh, foreign oil than it has been in the past. They have re- uh, really started to ramp up their own uh, oil production. The problem is is that the U.S. can't simply pull out and say, we're not going to use uh, foreign oil anymore. It's not as quick as that. It's not as simple as that. The president is right that they are becoming more energy independent, but he, he simply is not going to be able to kind of rely solely uh, on U.S. crude and w- will still have a need to uh, to be bringing in or to be importing oil from somewhere in the Middle East. Reggie Cicchini, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. A worrying day, I think, for the entire world, considering what has happened in the last 24 hours, not to mention an extraordinarily sad day for so many Canadians, with news that so many Canadians have been killed in that crash of the airliner just outside of Tehran. 63 in all, 27 apparently from Edmonton, and the news is just beginning to come in now about Ontarians and Torontonians who have been killed. We're hearing from the York Regional District School Board that a number of students from the York Regional District have been killed in that plane crash. We're going to get back to that developing story and the latest from Washington as well, analysis on what Trump had to say about imposing harsh new sanctions on Iran. But we want to begin with an update from Ottawa, where Ottawa police say one person is dead and three seriously injured after a shooting in the central part of the city. Now, police believe the shooting was targeted. 
and there's no active gunman at this point. However, police are still looking for a suspect. I always find this interesting, this language that police use when they say there's no active gunman, which is a way of saying there's no person out there just randomly shooting at people, but yet there seems to still be a person with a gun on the loose. You can parse that how you will. Officers were called to the scene at Gilmore Street around 7.30 this morning after reports of multiple gunshots. Here is a resident from the area in Ottawa speaking to reporters. Every type of vehicle showed up. Uh, There were Army, SWAT, police officers. They were surrounding the... The vicinity, they were taping off all this area. No one was allowed to walk through. That is a resident from this area in Ottawa where there was a shooting this morning. One person dead, three people in hospital in serious condition. That is a developing news story. We'll stay on top of that for you. Let's get to the education file and teach you some letters, shall we? The letters E-Q-A-O. That stands for Education Quality and Accountability Office. If it has been a couple of years since you've been in high school or even in elementary school, then maybe you don't know what this is. What it is is it's a way to take a standardized test right across the province, and it gives the Ministry of Education a better idea how students are doing, especially when it comes to math, because as you know, there's a lot of concern about whether or not our students in this province are learning math whether they're learning it the correct way, whether they're learning it fast enough, and whether they're going to be competitive when it comes to trying to find jobs in the new economy. Now, EQAO, it is a provincial agency. It's an arm's-length agency, not part of the government. It's a provincial agency, and it assesses, as I mentioned, reading, writing, and math skills through tests. They're administered by teachers, those tests, and grade 9 math tests for first-semester students are scheduled for next week. The second semester students will be tested in June. If you have a student in a semester to high school, as I do, that means that math, if she has math, my daughter right now, she'll be done her math course at the end of this month because she moves on to a different semester and there will be no more math. But it is quite possible that there will be no EQAO test for my daughter or for many other grade 9 students because of ongoing work to rule with high school students. Here is the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, talking about what's going to happen to those scheduled tests next week. So today's school boards will be informed that they should determine at a local level whether the EQAO grade 9 math assessment should proceed. This will allow schools where students are fully prepared for the test to administer it. High schools which do not feel the test can be successfully administered in January will need to administer the test in June 2020 at the next uh, assessment period. Still waiting for confirmation from the TDSB, but expect the TDSB to say that these tests will not go ahead. Because essentially the high school teachers, the OSSTF, that union representing high school teachers in this province, says that they're not going to administer them, they're not going to prepare for them, it's not going to happen. That is at least what is expected to happen later that day, later today. But interesting here that the Ministry of Education is not saying we're going to cancel it outright. It's like, you know, moving the responsibility off to the school boards. Oh, we didn't cancel it. The school boards canceled it. Here again, 
is Stephen Lecce. I, I share the concern that not all students are writing the test on Monday because they have not been prepared to write the test on Monday because the union leaders have directed their members not to prepare students for the grade nine math assessment for EKL. That's, this is why we're here today. No, uh, it has nothing to do with what parents have done or what government action. It is the teachers union who's decided to withdraw supports for their members, uh, pardon me, for the students, when they made a commitment to do the opposite, when they said that those impacts would not have any, uh, would have zero impact on the student experience, and I'm quoting. That is Stephen Lecce speaking this morning at Queen's Park, talking about the possible cancellation of EQAO testing, likely to be cancelled. It was scheduled to begin next week, but for many school boards, kids perhaps are just not prepared, are not ready, or are they? Does the minister even know what he's talking about? Well, Ontario's English Catholic teachers say they will begin administrative work-to-rule campaign on Monday, and their announcement comes on the same day that high school teachers are staging yet another one-day strike in select boards, Peel being the largest of the areas around Toronto. And the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association say they have bargaining dates with the province this week, but if they don't get a deal... They will begin job action on Monday that includes not participating in standardized testing, nor will they prepare report cards or participate in Ministry of Education initiatives. So what does that mean? Liz Stewart is the president of OECTA and joins me now. All right, Liz Stewart, welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Why did DeWecta decide to go ahead with announcing Work to Rule next week? I think we have worked hard to avoid coming to this, in fact, to avoid coming to any form of job action. Um, But we felt that, you know, after nearly 40 meetings with the government, that it was time to to move to this next step, um, just to highlight the concerns that our, our members have, Um, around uh, the drastic cuts that are taking place within the education system in Ontario and what's happening in our classrooms and and to our students. And so that was why we made the decision. We have two days of bargaining this week on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, we we are always eternally hopeful that we'll be able to to move things along and not actually have to take this step on Monday. Um, but, but Liz, is this a question that, of just ratcheting up pressure? As you say, you have two more days of negotiations scheduled for this week alone, so why make this announcement now? Well, I think there's a level of frustration that we have in the fact that we've, you know, we've been trying, like I say, for nearly 40 different times, meeting with the government and trying to move things forward, and nothing has been moving. Nothing we have heard coming from the minister has indicated that the government is willing to move. And so we felt that it was time for us to to take this next step. As you know, we have to give five days' notice. And so we felt it was prudent to issue that notice now, understanding that we will be at the bargaining table Thursday, Friday, and and being eternally hopeful, as I said, that we'll be able to move things forward and not have to take this next step come Monday. There has been quite a bit of back and forth between the Minister of Education and OSSTF, the public school, high school teachers. And the suggestion on one side is that this is about class sizes and education cuts, and on the other, that it is about compensation and about money. What is the truth? 
Well, I can appreciate what the minister says, and I've certainly heard the rhetoric that he's used. But I will tell you that we have heard loud and clear from our membership and, in fact, from the parents and from our students that the cuts that are taking place in our schools are drastically undermining uh, the students' ability to have a successful education here in Ontario. We have a world, or had a world-class education system, and the changes this government is bringing forward and the cuts it is making are systematically undermining that. We have students right now, our most vulnerable students, who don't have access to the programs they need because there just aren't the teachers there to provide them. But is the legislated 1% wage cap a stumbling block for you at the bargaining table? I think the the constitutionality of that legislation um, is always going to be an issue for any of us. But I think that the fundamental issue we've had with this government from day one is that when we sit at a table and try to bargain fairly, as we've always done. And and I have to say, with the Trustees Association, have been very successful in doing to this point, which is why we have not had to take action up until now, because we've been able to work with them to problem solve. We're now at a point where it, it means the Crown needs to, to ante up and start talking about what we're going to do to make sure students have the supports they need. So for us... But I want to come back to this. I want to come back to the money because that is what the minister is saying this is about. So if it is not a stumbling block at the table, then you're saying that a 1% or less wage increase will be acceptable. What I'm saying is we'd like to engage in a meaningful conversation with the government rather than have them make regulations and legislations. That's what we've always said. I mean, we have a complaint before the Labor Board right now because as we sat at a bargaining table, the government brought in regulations around class sizes and yet talks in the media and talks all the time about how they want to discuss that at a bargaining table. Well, that's not true if you've already passed legislation or you've already passed regulation. So the government can't have it both ways. If they want to have the conversation at the table, then let's have it at the table. And we have been very clear that our bargaining, that's where it's taken place. We have deliberately not done so through the media. What happens with testing, EQAO testing in preparation for what is supposed to be tests coming next week? Well, I I think this once again highlights perhaps the the minister's lack of information about what actually happens in schools. Um, With the grade 9 math EQAO assessment, it's actually part of the grade 9 math curriculum. So grade 9 students all across the province have been, you know, engaged in that curriculum. Certainly as an educator, I would say the most valuable form of assessment done is that done by classroom teachers in classrooms every day all across this province is the work done by them. EQAO was an added layer that was put in by a government. Um, and, and really, you know, whether EQAO occurs or not, student learning will continue. The curriculum will be covered and students will be assessed. Liz Stewart, president of OECTA, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Alan. Isn't that interesting? Didn't hear that the key point in that interview, another accusation from a union that the Minister of Education simply doesn't know what he's talking about.
Sad news continues to come in about the Canadians killed in the crash of that Ukrainian airliner outside of the Tehran airport. We are getting news that a number of people are, a number of the victims are from Edmonton, but now also from the Toronto area, as would be expected. We're hearing a number of students from the York District region were killed in this crash. Also, some graduate students in the University of Guelph, also the University of Ottawa, has put out a statement saying that a number of its students have also been killed. We'll keep our eye on this developing situation and bring you more information as we have it. But let's turn our mind to what happened in Iran prior to the plane crash, and that is Iranian missiles raining down on Iraqi military sites that contain American uh, personnel. And there are now some images that are coming from space satellites, from satellites in space, where else would they be, uh, that show that this was an extremely targeted hit, appears to be a very targeted hit that these Iranian missiles were attacking and targeting warehouse sheds, that in other words, that it was specifically designed not to take life. And there has been much talk about whether or not the Iranians have now decided that that is enough, that this has, you know, taken some of the steam out of the country in terms of the demands that they act and retaliate. So there you've got missiles in the air. And if that if you're done, then we're done. And then it's all over. Is that really what is happening inside Iran? Martha Raddatz has more from Tehran. There is a mix of bravado and some caution here in Tehran. Iran's supreme leader celebrating those ballistic missile strikes as a slap in the face to the U.S., but he said those missile strikes aren't enough. He wants all U.S. troops out of the Middle East. And then we heard Donald Trump just a short while ago talking about NATO ratcheting up its presence in the area. Is that a way to get U.S. troops out of the region to satisfy Iranian demands? Here also is an interesting part of the Trump address, the very end here, where he offers an olive branch to the country of Iran. Finally, to the people and leaders of Iran, we want you to have a future and a great future, one that you deserve, one of prosperity at home and harmony with the nations of the world. The United States is ready to embrace peace with all who seek it. I want to thank you, and God bless America. That is President Donald Trump speaking at the White House just a short while ago. Christian Luprecht is a professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada and joins me on the line. Hi, Christian. Good afternoon. Let's begin with the beginning of my preamble here, which is the belief that Iran has stood down, that they have fired their missiles and now there is going to be a de-escalation. Does that, does that compute? Is that logical? Well, I think we'll need to test that hypothesis over the coming nights and days. Um, uh, Iran has, still has many options at its disposal, uh, some of them non-kinetic. Um, it could try to stage attacks against U.S. assets or interests elsewhere in the world, but in ways that would be difficult to attribute back to Iran. Uh, so we'll have to see. But certainly a dozen and a half missiles on two targets in retaliation for the U.S. striking five Iranian proxy militia targets in Iraq and taking out the second most powerful person in Iran. 
uh, seems a fairly muted and modest response that I think catered primarily to the Iranian propaganda uh, machine uh, to make sure that the regime stays in power and can justify its existence um, and uh, is seen as doing something in return. Will those missile attacks satisfy the hardliners within the Iranian government? I think that remains to be seen. And I think there's as much fragility between the Iranian leadership and the Iranian people as we saw from the street protests um, uh, in late 2019 uh, due to the economic sanctions that are making life very difficult, as there is considerable division and derision within the Iranian senior leadership about how to go on and uh, about this. Uh, so uh, I think certainly um, one of the objectives that I think the Americans were trying to achieve is to further divisions within Iran about what Iranian grand strategy should look like, because clearly what the U.S. is trying to signal is that Iran is far too large for its own shoes in terms of Iranian political and economic capability um, relative to the sprawling uh, military interests that it is trying to assert throughout the region. That brings me to the second clip that I played there, the clip of President Donald Trump issuing a sort of an olive branch of a kind to the people of Iran. The conventional wisdom over the last 48 hours or so has been that the targeted military strike that the U.S. carried out has unified the country and brought the Iranian people closer to the revolutionary government. Do you agree with that assumption? Oh, come on. This is like the old Soviet Union. You know, you get a text or you get the security official knocking on your door. You're going to be showing up for the demonstration of a million people, or you might be finding yourself in jail or having other sorts of duress in your life. Uh, those weren't all volunteers out on the street. No, many probably were, but there's considerable misgiving, especially among the young, um, with all the corruptions, with the economic hardship, uh, with the inability to get anywhere uh, with, uh, with their own life. Um, and so uh, I think what the Trump administration knows this and they're trying to put on the pressure. And there's nothing that a regime like Iran or North Korea, Russia, for that matter, want more than to continue to stay in power because the elite wants to enjoy its political and economic privileges. And so by turning up the uh, by turning up uh, by doing this, uh, Trump is also trying to turn up the pressure um, and the heat on the regime. And look, Mike Pompeo is on record as saying that regime change in Iran remains one of the American objectives. Christian Luprecht is a professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada. Always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Details about Gwyneth Paltrow in the Goop Lab, what that thing is all about, and why some medical experts are concerned about what Gwyneth might be peddling, just after this quick story about Michelle Rempel on Twitter. The Calgary Conservative MPP, or rather MP, my apologies, went off on Twitter against Global News last night. Why? Well, after the Iran missile strikes, apparently she went to the Global News Twitter feed, and what she saw angered her. This is what, what, what Ms. Rempel tweeted. Quote, Iran launches missile at base where U.S. troops are stationed. Canadian MSM. This link to a pin tweeted on the Global News Twitter feed asking what people thought of Justin Trudeau's new beard. So essentially she goes to the Twitter feed from Global News and she finds 
pinned. And if you know how Twitter works, it's not the most recent thing that you've tweeted, but you can. there's a little button that you press. And you say, okay, this is the thing I want to be tweeted at the top, or rather pinned to the top of my Twitter feed. That's the first thing that people are going to see. And on the Global News uh, site, on the Twitter feed yesterday, pinned there for a couple of hours was a discussion about Justin Trudeau's beard. Your beard is troubling. It is troubling. So Ms. Rempel went on to say, to be very frank, it's this sort of stuff that undermines the integrity of the important role you and everyone at Global News are supposed to fill. Yes, it might have gotten clicks and likes, but it really did it do anything of journalistic merit. Then she went on to tweet further. I am a member of the opposition. A lot of times the first information I get on an issue is from your outlet, referring to Global News. I glow there, and then, the beard? Really? Then your corporate money guys inevitably end up in front of a committee asking for money to keep journalism alive in Canada. Here is the response to that tweet from Troy Reed, Senior Vice President at Global News. As the corporate money guy around here, please reference any single instance of Global News appearing before any committee seeking public dollars. You can't because it has never happened. Be better. Interesting discussion, and I just leave that for you there to discuss, to think about. Obviously, when you're a news organization as large as Global News, you work on a number of different stories at once. There are many different journalists who work here under the umbrella of Global News. Some are doing very hard-hitting journalism. Some are doing lifestyle journalism. Both exist. Both are bits of news that inform our day. It is not one or the other. In a pinned tweet does not indicate that somehow this news organization is more concerned about Justin Trudeau's facial hair than it is about missile attacks in Iran. Let's move on to the Goop Lab. It is a new television show that will bring Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand Goop to life, and doctors are worried about it. It's a six-part series that debuts on Netflix on January 24th. It promises to delve into controversial topics. Here is the trailer for the Goop Lab. So what happens in a workshop? Everyone gets off. <sighs> what the f- are you doing if you go? <laughs> what we try to do with you is explore ideas that may seem out there or too scary. Are you guys ready to go out in the field and make a ruckus? Just another day at the office. <laughs> And that is the trailer for the Goop Lab, which makes its way to Netflix on January 24th. And, of course, it stars Gwyneth Paltrow. Megan Colley is a Global News National Online journalist who has been looking into the Goop Lab and some concerns that medical experts, the people who actually know something about medicine, have with this program. Hi, Megan. Hi, how's it going? It's going well, thanks, other than the end of the world. But uh, beyond that, what are the experts saying about Gwyneth and her new show? Well, this isn't the first time Gwyneth and the Goop brand have made headlines. You know, um, for, as as an example, in September 2018, they were forced to pay $145,000 in civil penalties because they were making, quote, unscientific claims about the health benefits of some of their products. So this is sort of, this show promises to be an extended 
recreation of this brand goop um, and health experts and doctors are really worried about what this will do to women specifically because they've seen time and time again how goop has misled women and given them misinformation about what's actually good for their health. And in, in these cases, we're talking about some holistic uh, remedies, some herbal remedies, all of that sort of thing. I Part of the thing about Goop, and, and I kind of feel like journalists, by and large, are being punked by Gwyneth, is that Goop will put out some ridiculous thing that costs a ton of money, and the next thing you know, you know, the media just goes crazy about it. It seems to play into their hands, does it not? That's an interesting point. I do think at the end of the day, all that matters to Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow is making money. So whatever will drive people to their site and buying their products, yeah, I think that's their end goal. And I do think that drawing attention to their specific products sometimes can have that adverse effect. But what I think is important is constantly reminding women, especially that some things, you know, they shouldn't be doing, especially when it comes to vaginal health, sexual health. It can be really dangerous, some of the things that they promote. So what I think doctors, what I'm hearing from doctors and health experts is that they really want the message to be do your research, see your doctor before you make any decisions about your health. One of my favorite doctors out there in the public sphere is Dr. Jennifer Gunter, who is an outspoken critic of Paltrow and is the author of the Vaginal Bible. What does she have to say about Goop and the Goop brand? Yeah, she is amazing. First of all, I love her work. Um, she has basically said that what's happening right now is Gwyneth Paltrow is seen as or or elevated as this trusted authority in women's health. And that really worries her because she's not coming from a uh, point of view of a doctor. She's not a health expert. She didn't go to medical school. She's there to make money. Um, and basically what she's saying is she's a trusted authority who's leading women to believe it's the right thing to do. You know, it being whatever crazy health Thing Gwyneth has come up with this month. Um, but women are really, I think, scared of what could happen to them potentially if they don't do the latest wellness trend. And really, they just want to feel good. Um, and I think that both of those things drive them to wellness or naturopathy or these sort of um, off the beaten track alternative medicines. Have you spent much time on the Goop website and going through their products, that sort of thing? I'm just wondering what the appeal to it might be for someone who's never been to that. Unfortunately, I have spent a good chunk of time on that website. I think what the appeal really is, is the, the, it's indicative of the larger wellness industry. And as you were saying, it kind of feels like the end of times right now. And I think people, not just women, people are looking for ways to feel good about themselves, to feel healthy, to feel like they're doing something for their own self-care, such a classic buzzword right now. And the things that they're selling, it's not just health remedies. It could be as simple as crystals or um, salt lamps or things that are just you know, they promise to make you feel calm. They promise to make you feel at peace. They promise to give you a better sleep. It's simple things like this um, that I think people are just so desperate for and they're willing to buy anything and try anything to get there. Because what, what I find interesting about it is that it, it it's not like a curioso. It's not like you go there because, you know, you're going to the sharper image to get some crazy wacky thing. I mean, it, it, it really does sort of feed into that belief that, well, just because the mainstream medical um, you know industry says that this is no good, 
you know, I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for something outside the margins. Absolutely. I think it's feeding into misinformation, too, that's happening online. You know, we see the same with the anti-vax movement. Um, It's the same fear that these articles that are circulating or these theories that are circulating online about how vaccines can cause autism, which has been disproven time and time again. It's that same fear uh, sending people to this site worried that if they don't buy the jade egg or, you know, whatever crazy steaming thing that Gwyneth is trying to sell them, that they, that something bad could happen to them. And with no, without people like Jennifer Gunter, who are constantly battling this misinformation online, uh, these women don't really know where to go or where to get this proper, correct information. Yeah, I, I'm reminded, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned the anti-vaccine because I'm reminded of Jenny McCarthy and how out there she was in terms of she was, you know, sort of featured in the media as being an authentic, real voice about anti-vax. And then, you know, the pendulum sort of swung the other way. And you're wondering, okay, will the pendulum swing against Gwyneth? Absolutely. I think it's the exact same, you know, example of the danger of the wellness industry. And it's really playing on our capitalistic tendencies and our fear of being unhealthy. Um, And I I think that we need people like Jen Gunter out there to constantly combat that. It's unfortunate that that's become her job because she actually is an OBGYN, but um, she's doing the Lord's work, in my opinion. (laughs) Megan Cauley is a Global News National online journalist, and you can read her piece, Why Health Experts Are Concerned About Gwyneth Paltrow's new show, The Goop Lab, that is on Global News Dot .ca thank you so much have you seen cats the movie by the way i have not and have i i'm scared to go after you're scared hearing. to go well here uh, let me just tell you this this is from the washington post apparently there has been an uptick at the box office people going to see cats now as you as you mentioned the reviews have been terrible some of the reviews have called it a feverish drug dream god i hate this freaking cat yeah, it freaks me out uh-huh Well, apparently there has been a recent wave at the box office of viewers going to the movie Really Wicked High. (laughs) Viewers have admitted to eating cannabis-infused edibles, smoking marijuana before going into the theater. In a new set of interviews published in the Washington Post, some audience members admitted to smoking pot, taking mushrooms, LSD, you name it, a mind-expanding drug in order to have a better viewing experience. Cried both times, planning on going two more times, said one viewer. While the CGI from Cats has been hammered in the press and by social media, it apparently turns out to be a mind-altering good time, Megan. I don't know about that. Maybe I need to go see it that way then. <laughs> Try it out myself. I'll report back. And we'll report. I don't know what Gwyneth would have to say about it, but that's uh, that is fascinating.